morning, Liberty Lake Church. Why don't you come on in and stand and worship with us? morning. I'm supposed to introduce myself. I'm Shane. I, uh, I have a treat. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there was a battle in the pews last, we, last Wednesday night. Uh, it was long. It was arduous. People suffered. I'm not sure if you saw the outline of the body, um, but one of, our, one of our youth laid down there, so we taped him up real quick, and it was awesome. Um, there's also darts randomly located within the church, some in the light shades, which we'll get out someday, and uh, others in other locations. But it has come to my attention that a couple of our young people have found some darts, and if you come up here, I have a snack for you this morning. It's fruit snacks. I know that that's ter- you know terrible, but I thought I'd give them vegetables this morning, so 
That's a joke. Thank you. Can I have the dart? Uh, that way you can't double dip oh. here. All right. I get the dart. I get the dart. I get the dart. <laughs> Can I have the dart? <laughs> thank you. Nope. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Phew. Important stuff. All right. If you find any more, come and see me. I have more darts. Hey, hey. Oh, Jerry. Well, there you go. I've got more. Thank you. All right. We had a great time, and uh, it was awesome. We'll have pictures uh, that we're gonna f we'll show you guys probably next week. Uh, we'll get some pictures up so you can see what actually happened. Uh, exciting stuff uh, this week. Craftsman's Ministry is happening tomorrow night uh, at 6 o'clock at Jacob Tritt's house. Uh, if you are registered and you know where to be, then you know where to be. If you're interested in what we're doing, please check in with Jacob. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about what we're doing right now. And uh, we're about halfway through the, the course, so we should be wrapping up in another year um, or so. It's actually only probably four more weeks, but uh, we're doing them kind of spread out, so it's taken us a bit. Uh, I've asked Lisa to come up and share. She's got a couple of announcements that need your attention as well. Kai's giving me the thumbs up. Way to go, Mom. Okay. A um, couple of things. They have me announcing food. So next uh, next week, uh, we do have our our monthly fellowship luncheon. We were, we are off a little bit, if you haven't noticed. Um, with Easter, Mother's Day, we kind of split the difference. And so next week, we're going to be doing um, Taco Bar, which is kind of in lieu of Cinco de Mayo. So um, come for that festive taco bar. Um, the other thing that's coming up, we have two, two items that I want to talk about, is the EV Free District Conference is going to be May 6th through May 8th. Um, if you've been a part of that in the past, you know that we are um, the hostess with the mostest, so we have a high bar to, to meet. Uh, we are doing food uh, Thursday night when they get in, Friday all day, so that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks. And then uh, Sunday we do um, a breakfast and then send them off on their way home with a, with a lunch on the go. I need a lot of volunteers to help. Uh, the majority of the volunteers that I need are Friday. If you work, that's fine. I can use you Friday evening. Uh, usually by Friday, uh, about 5 o'clock, I am ready to sit down. Um, and so if you can come and help clean up, wash dishes, serve food, uh, the meal on Friday is a very large meal. We like to serve those pastors and their wives that do a lot of service in their own churches. We like to make this an opportunity that they feel like they're actually being taken care of. So it's a great ministry for us to be able to do this, but I just need some help. The other part that I need help with is that uh, they really like the home baked goods that we provide, and so if you are someone that likes to bake, if you can bake bars, cookies, um, cake, if you are someone that has um, the ability to make allergen-free foods, uh, gluten, dairy, uh, some of those things, I could certainly use some help with those baked goods as well. And just please label everything so we know what it is, and if it is going to be allergy-friendly, just label that so we know so we can mark it. The other big uh, announcement that I have today is the ability to create a new ministry opportunity. Uh, COVID has shut us down for being able to really go out in the field. And um, I've been prayer prayerfully thinking about and praying for 
um, a ministry opportunity. Um, most of you know I like to go to China and do some service there, and that country right now is closed. Um, but something has come uh, here in our own church uh, that will allow us to serve God and, and serve others. And so if you've always been thinking, gee, I really want to do something, I'm not really comfortable going downtown under the bridge, I'm not one that wants to leave the country, guess what? I have something for you. Um, some, an opportunity where you can actually serve in a ministry right here in our own church. And so this new ministry opportunity is called Loving Legacy Ministry. And this is where we're going to be partnering with the Spokane County Chaplains. Rochelle is one of the um, support people. We talked about it earlier. Support chaplains um, with this and has brought this to our attention. But we've been able to now, we're going to be hosting memorial services for families that have some connection with the Spokane County Sheriff's Department and um, their loved one passing away. And so these people will not have a church home but they want a church service. And so this is an opportunity for us to use our building um, and our people to love on those families that have tragically lost someone um, in their lives. And so we'll probably be starting this ministry around the 1st of June. Um, Ann and Bill Godferson have taken um, the lead on this for us. Uh, Bill, you knew that, right? Um, <laughs> You do now. Um, but they've decided to uh, kind of be our, our lead on this. I'll be helping as it's going through the fellowship ministry. Um, but we're going to be needing people to come in, some people to set up, some people to tear down, people that are here just directing traffic, and also those ladies that like to bake. We could use your services then too with just supplying us with baked goods um, for those services. So, um, if you volunteer, you may only be asked to serve once or twice a year. If we have many hands, um, then that will uh, allow people to kind of rotate through that, that ministry. But uh, please let us know if you have questions. Rochelle is available and can answer questions myself, and we'll be kick-starting that off. Um, there's sign-up sheets in the back for both the um, conference that we have in May and also the new ministry um, that we'll be starting in June. Thank you. You want to stand with us as we continue singing.
let that be our prayer that from the inside out just change us and make us more like you in your name amen oh take a seat kids you are dismissed to kids rock Good morning. You guys learn lessons well? Any of you ever, ever have to repeat a lesson more than once? A couple? Yeah, thank you, some of, some of you. I, um, I have a particular gift in this particular area, um, and it comes to do with doing physical activity, which I know none of you struggle with. Um, but I was invited to uh, go and hang out with some people quite a bit younger than me. Uh, my bride and I were both invited. And as we're driving over to the volleyball court, um, what's so funny about that? <laughs> so we're driving over to the volleyball court, and my bride looks at me and goes, you're not planning on playing, are you? I'm like, no. Why would I play? My shoulder's still hurting from doing that goofy video last week for the, for the battle in the pews, and my knees are bothering from having moved just a few weeks ago. Why would I play volleyball? That would be dumb. It is fun, and I really hurt today. Like, my knees hurt, my ankles hurt, my shoulder, it's right there. Why? What is it about our lives that cause us to need to repeat things that we already know the lesson to, we already know the answer to? Uh, it's interesting how, how not only do we do this in our physical life, my, my life's not ending because I'm super sore, I was reminded of my age, I was reminded of some of the abuse that I've, my body's gone through when I was younger and I did dumb things. Now I'm older and I do dumb things and for whatever reason it keeps catching up. Uh, but the reality is, is that in our lives we tend to need to relearn lessons. We tend to go back to and, and repeat mistakes in our lives. And um, I find it encouraging, I find it uh, uh, just a, a, a beautiful piece of who God is that he actually gives us examples in Scripture and says, learn from them. Learn from, from their mistakes. Follow these things. I don't know how many of you guys as parents have ever tried to keep your kids from doing the things, the very dumb things that you did. You want them not to do those things. And I'm probably going to get the quote wrong, but Dick Olson gave me a quote, and I believe it was the children that, uh, that miss the mistakes uh, that avoid the mistakes of their parents often uh, make the mistakes that their parents avoided. Did I get that right? Pr pretty close, close enough. But it's a great illustration. It's phenomenal. The, 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 there are many times in our lives where we, we as parents, we want our kids to learn from our mistakes and we want them to not repeat the same stuff that we did. So we do a lot of our education with our children going, don't do those things. That's crazy. Don't do this. It won't end well for you. And what do they do? Most of the time, they run out and do them better than us. And that's, I think sometimes, in fact, as we see the scripture this morning, I think we're going to, hopefully, you and I will both be challenged in our lives where we'll recognize that we do this in our spiritual life as well. 
And we do this in our relationship with the Lord. And God's calling the nation of Judah to respond uh, in the book of Jeremiah. We're actually seeing him uh, once again call to the nation of, uh, of Israel, to Judah specifically. And he's going to reference that this morning in our text. So turn with me into Jeremiah chapter 3. We're going to cover way more than what we have uh, capacity for. So there's a number of texts you're going to want to jump in and follow us, follow along with this morning. Um, but we're going to just read, uh, just to get started, we're reading uh, verses 11 through 14 this morning as our, as our main text. Because God's offering uh, the nation of Judah, the, he's offering them restoration, uh, and, and, and if they would repent, uh, God offers restoration to the repentant. Those who are repentant in their heart, he's still offering that to them, even after all of their rebellion, even after their repeated rebellion, it's still on the table, and it's amazing. Jeremiah chapter 3, starting in verse 11. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among the foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family. I will bring you to Zion. Um, God himself, he's, he's actually uh, in the text here, he's giving a... a, a um, a plea to the nation of Israel to actually repent. They're in captivity at this point in time, and he's saying return. And he specifically, do you, do you see the use of, of language, how he goes, Israel's faithless, Judah's treacherous. What a terrible uh, uh, proclamation to have from the Lord to, to actually claim that you are the treacherous of the two nations. And it's, it's really cool, too, because if you go and you read through and you see all the kings of Israel, uh, there weren't any good ones. Judah had a couple of good ones. In fact, right now in this time, Josiah is one of the good ones. And yet Israel is the faithless one and Judah is the treacherous one. Well, we see why just previous to this in the text in uh, Jeremiah. So we're going to back up and read just the first couple of verses. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. It says this, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did? That faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought, after she had done all all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all their treacherous, for all her treacherous uh, sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense declares the Lord. So we have this picture of of Israel and Judah, and both of them uh, experiencing the idolatry of the nation and, and following other idols and, and following the worship of other places. And God's actually looking at Judah going, you, you saw what happened 
to Israel. They're an example to you. You watched what happened. They refused to repent, and I sent them away. I, I issued them a decree of divorce and sent them away. And yet Israel, Judah did not respond. In fact, I love what he says in 10, that, that yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense decla- declares the Lord. What does that look like when, when we, it's, it's kind of like as a kid when your parents give you a directive and you're like, okay, 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 but you don't actually mean okay. That ever drive you nuts as parents when your kid's like, yeah, 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 but they're not actually saying yeah? Man, I got to tell you, I can't, I don't know how my parents put up with me. I was one of those blessed children that actually said what I was thinking, which gets you in a lot more trouble, I found out. Um, if, if you tell them what they want to hear and then don't go and, and just go and not do it, um, you still get in trouble. Don't, don't get me wrong. If, if that's in your mind and that's your personality, you're still going to get in trouble. It's just later on and sometimes it's probably worse. But my folks had a real challenge with me because when they'd tell me something I didn't like, I would like express my discontent with their thought process, which that endears you to your parents. They so appreciate you expressing your views on their parenting um, verbally. It's not true. But this is a deeper issue. Because Israel's, or Judah's actually claiming that they're following the Lord while they're rebelling. They're actually claiming that they're the faithful ones of Israel. Remember last, of, of, of the Israelites, remember last week we looked at the, the, the accusation of the Lord, and he said, I've shown you all this, and yet you still say that I'm innocent, I've done nothing wrong? He's, he's laying out the case before them, and yet Judah is still professing to be innocent, and having done nothing wrong, they reject the lessons that were presented to them by God in Israel. It, my boys probably experienced the same thing. I think I was much harder on my first two than I was on the second two. Um, I, I take some credit for that, but the younger two, they started doing things differently. They watched how things turned out for the older two, and, and there was a point in time we actually uh, had that discussion as they were a little bit older, and the younger two were like, well, yeah, clearly we're not going to do that. That did not go well for them. I mean, it was, they saw some of the, some of the outcomes of, of life, and they thought, that might not be a good idea. What do you guys think it is that causes us to not respond to the Lord this way? I mean, look at all the examples we have in the text about what it means to walk with the Lord, what it means to rebel against the Lord, what it means to be a faithful and obedient people, and what it means to be rebellious and disobedient people. I mean, we have a whole scripture from, from, from the beginning of Genesis, from the first sin, God gave us examples all throughout the text about what it looks like, what the difference is. What do you think? Why is it that we're so difficult to deal with? Why is it that our hearts are so, um, as we talked about last week, prone to wander and we, we, we want to worship everything else? Doesn't it drive you nuts? It drives me nuts. I, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm tired of me sometimes. I, th- I think, unfortunately, we do. We actually become, we become so deceived in our thinking of our relationship with the Lord. The mercy of God becomes so, so comfortable to us or so present that we actually stop being convicted by our sin. We actually become comfortable and complacent because the mercy of God is continuing to be 
presented to us. It's his nature. It's the very character of who he is. In fact, I love that after we see in Jeremiah, he lays out the, the accusations against Judah. He goes in and he reminds them of who he is, the mercy that he brings to the table. If you will repent, I will restore you. And he even offers that to Israel at that time. And I love the story. One of my favorite ones is, is in Jonah. We're just going to look real quick. Remember when Jonah said to the Lord, this is why I didn't go? I love that. He actually confesses his relationship with God the Father and goes, that's why I rebelled against you, because I know who you are. And I don't want to give up my issue. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That was the fact that God relented from destroying Nineveh. Because they repented, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew the very character of God when it came to dealing with people's sin, and so in that moment he rebelled against God's directions. His, his knowledge of the, the faithfulness and kindness of God actually was part of why he rebelled. He says, that's what I left, because I knew what you would do if those people repented. Maybe that's part of what we wrestle with. We're so familiar with the grace of God. We're so familiar with, with the, the graciousness, the long-suffering, and, and so comfortable with that that we are easily deceived into thinking that we're okay, thinking that our sin's not that bad. Maybe we're really not idolaters. I mean, we're not as bad as Judah, right? You guys don't have idols. I mean, at least not out of rock and wood. Our, ours, I think our biggest idol is probably the, the green kind that uh, sometimes feels like it's not, there's not enough of it in our wallet or in our bank accounts. But I think that that's one of, the, one of the great idols of our Christian nation here, and it, it, and it drives even us that would profess to be faithful followers. It drives a lot of what we do. A lot of where our fear is at, a lot of where our hopes are at, a lot of where our dreams are at, a lot of where our priorities are at. God says that I am merciful. He reminds them of his mercy, his willingness to return. And then he, he does something else in Jeremiah that I think is incredible. And, and he says, and on top of the fact that I'm merciful and if you return to me, I'm going to send you leaders. I'm going to provide leaders. You see what he says in that in Jeremiah 3.15? Jeremiah 3.15, he says this, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and, become, and been fruitful in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall say no more. The ark of the covenant of the Lord, it shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. What does the ark represent? The very presence of God in the nation of Israel, the power of God in the nation of Israel. 
That's what it represented to them. And he's saying that it's in what he's going to do in restoring Israel, in, in, in bringing about his change and his, his restoration to them, is that he's going to provide a good, the, the shepherd, a shepherd that will have a heart after his own heart. Who does that remind you of? King David, right? A king, a, a, a man after God's own heart. And he's one of the pictures of Christ that's coming. In fact, there's one of the beautiful things, if you turn over to Ezekiel, which is uh, just right next door to Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter uh, 34, you'll actually see that God's promising this, this shepherd, this coming prince, in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 22. It says this, And I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So we have this promise coming from the shepherd. Now, one of the things I want you to do for just a second, you need, we, we need to wrestle with, with what is happening in this text, right? And so here we have Jeremiah and we have Ezekiel. They were about somewhere between six and 700 years before Christ showed up on scene, right? Do you guys know what was happening six or 700 years on earth? Six or 700 years ago? I happen to have some details. And they're people I have no idea who they are. In Scotland... In April of 1321, peace talks at Bamberg Castle in England ended without agreement. Imagine that. Conflict. April 5th of 1321, Basilius Andronicus II brings his grandson, Andronicus III, before a tribunal of high dignitaries, beginning a civil war in in the Byzantine Empire, which ended in 1328. And Andronicus III was supported by others and fought against his grandfather. Those are the two significant things that happened. I looked it up. I was looking all over for 1321. What's going on? 700 years ago, that was the significant stuff that was going on. Why do I even mention that? Does it matter? I'm sure at some point, somebody's kids are connected to something that happened that mattered back then. But did what they do... Uh, did, what the, did what happened at that time really impact yours and my lives? Not that we know of, but somehow God the Father shows up and starts prophesying about stuff that's happening 700 years later, and he, does it, he shows off even more than that. But we need, I, I just want you to see this, because when we go to the next text, you're going to see Jesus say something very specific that ties him all the way back to both Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And I think it's important that we recognize how God works in this process. How is it possible that Jeremiah and Ezekiel are hearing words from the Lord that are the exact quotes of who Jesus is and what he says that he's going to be, and they match with things that are promised even prior to them? It's because of who God is and that he's outside of time and he's capable of making prophecies that come true. That's important when you think about whether we're going to obey him or not. Right? 
Brothers and sisters, that matters. If he's outside of time and he's making prophecies hundreds and thousands of years before they happen, he knows the beginning from the end, he's present always, it matters. I don't know if you guys have ever had that, uh, you've seen that, probably seen the, 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 the principle or the idea that somehow the words of your parents are going to be brought back to you when you're doing something wrong, right? Especially if your mom has a really great, like you're a dead voice. Your hope is that, that like, so you're getting into a bad situation and you'd hear those words of wisdom and you'd stop the bad things that you're doing. Israel is practicing idolatry with the presence of God there calling them away from this. The mercy of God is being illustrated and, and offered to them. He promises a leadership that's coming, shepherds that will have their own heart. And Ezekiel, he says he's going to send a shepherd, the one that's in the line of David, King David, with a heart after his own heart. He will be a prince among men. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 11. There's much more in here, and, and it would be great to go back and read. It's the passage in John where he says, I am the good shepherd. But look at what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he speaks more about that in there, and, and I would encourage you to read that. But Jesus is claiming to be the good shepherd, the promised shepherd that's coming. And he even says that he's going to lay down his life. He's, he's continuing uh, the, the picture of mercy, the picture of grace and, and loving kindness that God has shared with his people Israel for all of the generations that they've been following him or rebelling against him. I guess that's unfortunately how we do that. And even in Jeremiah, he promised, he says that they're going to feed you. They will actually be, a part of the process will be that you will be, uh, uh, be nurtured or, or, or brought up with good food, with good teaching. And I love that Paul, uh, Paul actually challenges, uses the same language, and he challenges uh, the, the, the church and the lead, the elders of the church that he's leaving behind as he's going to Rome uh, and, and probably his last, um, it, it would be his last trip to Rome. In Acts 20, 28, he, said, he makes this challenge to the elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul specifically, I think, uses the terminology of flock, the flock, to remind us of the principle of this shepherd that's coming, these leaders that are going to lead people and teach them correctly. And I love how Paul does it, right? Because he says, pay a careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. I love how he does that, right? It's so much easier for us to see everybody else's problems. You guys have a list of those? I had, I had one of those moments this morning. We should have gotten a picture put up. Maybe we'll do it next week. But I'm pretty sore, pretty tired. I walk in and I throw my, my coffee cup on the, on the Keurig in the back. I'm going to make myself a pot of coffee. And I turn around and it's overflowing the cup. And I'm like, how did eight ounces do that? And Julie then points out that the lettering's upside down on the cup. I did eight ounces into the bottom of the cup. Kind of a mess. Makes a big mess. 
I had a decision to make at that moment. Julie can't, can almost not talk at this point because she's laughing so hard. My bride's enjoying the scene. I had a decision to make right then. Am I going to laugh at myself because that was ridiculous, or am I going to get upset? Now, what do you guys do when you're tired? How do you respond to those moments? It was really helpful that I was in church getting ready to preach this message. When we think about God's mercy being offered to you and to me, when we think about the, the, the challenge that we see from God the Father to his people to say, we need to look at our own lives. We need to address the idolatry that it's in our hearts and not be like one, the rest of the world, but specifically he's referencing for the nation of Judah. He's saying, look at your sister. She gave you the example of how not to respond to me. But you're rebelliously refusing to accept that. You're continuing in your idolatry. You're continuing to, to worship other gods, even though I'm demonstrating for you how bad that's going to be, and I'm giving you my, I'm offering you my mercy. What I love specifically in this text, it's, it's absolutely wonderful, is that someone in the kingdom of Judah responds to God's warning. Did you, did you see that? Look, look in, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22. Someone is responding. I don't know who it is. My, I'm guessing that it's Josiah. Uh, the king who actually goes through and makes all of the major changes, because this right now, um, I believe, time frame wise, this is somewhere in the process of the beginning of Jeremiah or of, of Jeremiah's ministry is right around when Josiah was starting to seek the Lord and beginning to make the changes. Um, but it actually looks like some of the changes came because of what Jeremiah is sharing. But look at what someone in Jeremiah responds to this call from God. They respond. Uh, to God's directives here in Jeremiah 3.22. It says, Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. And here's the response. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Truly the, heel, the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God in the salvation, uh, is the salvation of Israel. In 22, or 23, the commotions or parties, uh, we're not really sure what the actual, I'm not really sure what the actual uh, word is. It has several different options there, um, which actually orgies was not one of the, was not one of them in there. So I'm, I'm not 100% sure at the translation, but it has to do with commotion, noise, parties is, is what they're referencing there. But do you see what the response of this individual is? Lord, you are our salvation you are the ones that we have to come to. We've been deceived. We've actually accepted the delusion that's been around us. And, and you're right. You are our salvation. These things that we've been following, these things that we've been worshiping, they do not provide for us what you are. Do we ever get... Do you guys ever feel like we, we are deceived or we fall into delusions around our lives you ever get to the point where you think a little bit more money will actually solve your happiness or maybe if you're just allowed to express your anger in this moment that it'll actually you'll actually be better maybe maybe we get to the spot where we think well we really can't control our responses to life 
Do we ever get to the point in, that we're deceived into thinking that we were trapped by sin and we had no choice but to do that? Isn't that interesting that that's sometimes how we actually talk? That, well, well you know, I, I couldn't control myself. I couldn't help it. And yet the Bible says that we've been freed from that sin. So when we choose to sin, we're choosing to sin. Judah was not, is not being held accountable because they had no control over who they were worshiping. They, they're being held accountable because they chose idolatry. They chose to turn away from the Lord and to follow all of the other gods and all of the other uh, false gods and practices of the foreign nations around them. In fact, what's so incredible is in his accusation, remember, he actually says, you're teaching them how to do it. I think way too often because of the complacency of our hearts, our comfort with God, our, our, our um, proximity to His grace, uh, we, we've become very... Uh, desensitized by our sin, and, and it probably even results in us being easily deceived into thinking that the practices of our religion are somehow uh, uh, do more work in our lives than what they actually do. None of you guys think that just coming to church actually takes care of your stuff, do you? Okay, good. Don't don't just showing up on here Sunday doesn't fix anything. It's your relationship with the Lord that changes your life. Now, coming to church is a great part of what we get to do as a family. It's a great part of being in the body of Christ and being connected and relationally building uh, those those connections and encouraging one another. It's a wonderful thing. But the practice of showing up on Sundays is not, is not what changes our lives and changes our hearts. In fact, we're going to see that what the Lord, the Lord responds to this response that we see in chapter 3 uh, in, the, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And this is what he says, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord to me, you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your hearts. O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. God himself is responding to this response that we saw at the end of three, and he says, that's great. Now live like it. He says, get back to the righteousness, get back to justice. Remove the idols that are in front of you. Remove the things that are being a delusion or a deception to you. And I love what he does in chapter 3. Break up the fallow ground and don't plant, don't sow among the thorns. Um, Jesus himself talks about this in, in the, the, the soils and how the soils work and the path and the thorny ground and the rocky ground and, and then the good soil. And there's different responses to, the, to seed that's put into those things. 
God the Father is challenging Israel. You need to break up this hard ground that's not producing anything. And sow your seed where it's going to grow. Sow it in a place where there aren't thorns. And the, the, the beauty of the thorn process, how many of you have ever dealt with thorns? Aren't they amazing? The stuff you want to grow does not grow. The stuff you don't want to grow grows. Sounds like a sin life issue. Thorns grow like crazy. And they multiply and they go everywhere and they'll choke out the good things that you're trying to grow in those areas if you don't deal with the thorns. Grew up farming with draft horses. It takes a lot longer to get through a field with draft horses. One of the unique things with draft horses is that they're not big fans of tall thorns or blackberries. Like, you can't drive them through those piles unless they're freaking out and they're running for their life. So you know what you have to do? When you don't have tractors and you don't have gas-powered equipment, you have your two boys, as part of their homeschooled education, take a machete and go out and spend hours beating up blackberries and thorns. It's a great life. You'll notice I don't have horse-drawn equipment in my life. I like gas-powered equipment. It was a ton of work to remove the thorns. Now, my dad, who knew what he was doing with farming, Two years later, we're producing hay off of this field, and it was gorgeous and beautiful, and there, was no th- there weren't any thorns left. There weren't any blackberries left. We'd eradicated them. It took us two years. And the first year, it was just my brother and I hacking at those with a machete and hauling off. We got no product out of that ground that first year. It was worthless for producing the grass and the grain that he was, or the the hay that he was trying to produce. God's calling the nation of Israel to deal with their heart issue, even to the point where he says, circumcise your lives to me. Set yourselves apart for me. Hosea 10, 12 uh, references this as well, specifically in as he's challenging the nation. He says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may be found and rain righteousness upon you. Part of the mercy of God is that as he's exposing the sin of the nation of Judah, he's offering to them his restoration. When we're breaking up the fallow ground, when we're, when we're removing these idols, I love how Hosea says it. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to pursue Him. I love that particular, that, that imagery, right? Seeking the Lord. You guys, uh, do, do we practice that? Uh, and I ask that question to myself I, because, I, you know, I wrestle with my, my schedule. I, I have the privilege of dedicating hours of my day into studying the Word of God. But am I seeking the Lord? You know, you can prepare sermons just to preach on Sunday with no interest in seeking the Lord at all. It's good material. There's, there's great life applications. You can even go and find other people's work to help you figure out what to say if you don't know what to say. I mean, it, it's... It, it, ha- it has its own uh, ability to take on its own life and be something totally separate from a relationship with the Lord. So I'm wrestling with that in my own heart, saying, God, am I seeking you? In fact, one of our texts in the New Testament says, seek first the kingdom of God. 
And so that's been part of my challenge is how am I, how am I investing in my relationship with the Lord? Am I seeking him first? Do I have Ill, uh, the, the, the distractions or the delusions of the world that are actually keeping me from seeking the Lord and the, that I've become content with in my life because I have enough spiritual stuff to feel like I'm doing good in my relationship with God? Romans 2 we're going to wrap up with that this morning. Paul, again, challenges us and, and uses some of the same pictures. Romans 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 25. Specifically, he's talking about circumcision. He says this, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised be, uh, but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Judah's being challenged to circumcise their lives, set themselves apart, to remove the flesh from their hearts, remove the worldly desires and their pursuit of idolatry and, and all of those things. And, and Paul's challenging us to consider the same thing. I think all the believers, all followers of God, have to have this question, have to wrestle with this. It's an issue of the heart. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. It doesn't matter how good we are at church. It doesn't matter if I laughed at myself this morning when I destroyed the coffee station. If in my heart I have, there it is, ask and you shall receive. Looks like a full cup of coffee right there, doesn't it? I spun around and looked at that, and I'm like, no, I pushed eight ounces. It does not matter how good a show I put on on the outside if inside my heart my pride is raging. Because God looks at the heart. doesn't matter if I have a Jesus sticker on the back of my car, if I'm driving down the road angry. It doesn't matter. What I look like on the outside, what matters is the heart that I have for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we can say all the things that we want. We can have our Bible reading lists that we check off. We can come to church on Sunday. We can volunteer for everything that's available. But if God does not have our heart, if you and I are not, if you and I are not set apart in our hearts for the Lord, then we have a major problem. The grace of God is extended. He's offered it to those who repent. He's offered it to all those who repent. And Israel or Judah was offered this, and he says, yes, you've claimed these things, but it's all in pretense. It's all pretend. You're claiming to be my people, but you're not actually doing it. Your heart does not belong to me. That's the question I think we need to ask ourselves as we try and learn from 
the lessons that we watch others live in Scripture. Does our heart belong to the Lord? Are we seeking Him today? Are we consumed by the things of this world? Are we consumed by jobs and, and time frames and finances and, and, and I don't know, po- politics and uh, everything else that's going on in our lives? <laughs> aching bones. How many of you guys are consumed by aching joints? Much more today for me than normal. It affects your attitude. Deeply impacts how we live. And yet the most important part is where does our heart belong? The beauty of the grace of God is he says, if you see this, repent, return to me. Judah's getting ready to go into captivity because although he continues to say this to him, he continues to offer it to him, they reject it. Judah's going to face the consequences of constantly and repeatedly rejecting the grace of God being offered to them. I don't want to find out what that looks like. I don't want to know what that looks like today. Constantly rejecting the grace of God and not dealing with the issues of my heart. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. If you look at your life and you say, you know what? I'm actually more concerned about all of these other things that I have in my relationship with the Lord. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord. To repent to confess those things as idols, and to walk away from them. What does that look like? I have things in my life that I'm having, I have to really, really measure very carefully. Because I have things that could very easily be idols in my life. I love them. I love them a lot. And that's very, very close to a problem. And I'm being honest with you because I'm not going to lie. I, I, I try not to ever lie to you guys. I'm, it's just it's something that we say. But there's things that I, that I love in my life that I'm, I'm really wrestling with, whether or not they're an idol or whether or not they're just things that I get to enjoy on this earth while I'm here. You know what makes the difference between whether they're an idol or not? It's what's happening right here. Because you guys can have things that I can't have. I can have things that you guys can't have. I can enjoy things that are not idolatrous for me that would be for someone else and vice versa. It's what's going on right here. Which is why you and I need to deal with our own hearts. When we start, we start worrying about our neighbors as we get our hearts right, but we don't worry about them because we're, worried, we're, 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 we're trying to fix them We're worried about them because we want them walking with the Lord. I want my heart to be so transformed that when I see idolatry, it wrecks me. When I see the lost, my heart breaks. When I watch one of my brothers and sisters struggling with sin, I'm compelled to come and say graciously and humbly, hey, have you considered this? I noticed that in your life because look at this mess in my life, and I'm trying to work on it. You want to work on it together? Idolatry is here. And every one of us has to make that decision. Every one of us has to evaluate whether or not we're being like Judah, rejecting the word of the Lord, or we're being like Jonah going, hey God, I know your grace, and I don't want you to love them. So I'm going to refuse to obey today. 
we would never do that, right? None of us would hate our neighbors so much that we would pull a Jonah. I think the hardest part for me as I'm looking at idolatry is how deceptive it is. How quick, how easy it is to become deceived by these things and and make excuses in my own heart to go, well, it's not that bad. I've got this under control. I've got it balanced out pretty good. God gets most of my time. Okay, God gets most of a percentage of my time. Okay, God gets a percentage of my time. Right? If we're honest, we are very good at rationalizing our sin, rationalizing our things that we're passionate and we care deeply about. Let's learn from somebody else's example today. It's time to seek the Lord. It's always time to seek the Lord. I don't know if you're aware that it's always time to seek the Lord, but when we're dealing with our sin and we see it exposed, we need to recognize now is the time to seek the Lord. Would you close your eyes and pray with me this morning as we consider what it means for you and for me? to seek the Lord, to confess what's in our heart. Father, I need you desperately to reveal in my own heart the things that are idols to me. Because I, I am easily deceived. I love, I love the things I love. I love... I love certain sins in my life. That's why I choose to do them. That's the reality of my heart. And by your grace, you knew this, and you still sent your son to pay that price. Father, I want to be overwhelmed by your grace, but I also want to be deeply convicted by my sin. So I pray this morning, Lord, for each of us that you would expose in our hearts where there's idolatry. You would expose in our hearts where we have things, God, that we worship more than you. Whatever it is, I know every one of us has, we have different things that we deal with, and each of us need to hear from you. If we are your children, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit indwelling us to teach us, to convict us to bring us your wisdom and knowledge and to direct our lives. Father, I pray that you would do that even this morning. That you would open our hearts and that you would open our eyes to the areas that we are being stubborn, that we are being deceived, or that we have rationalized in our hearts. God, your mercy is great. It's the nature of your character and your your kindness, your long-suffering, you offer that to your people. And we want to respond to you today. So do the work in our hearts that only you can do and draw us to yourself. I thank you, Father, for your gracious kindness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for being a loving, good God, a good Father who disciplines his children, but also offers 
offers to them incredible graciousness. So as we wrestle with you this week, as we wrestle with our own, with our own lives this week, as we engage your word, transform our hearts. I pray that you would break down the, the barriers, the deception, the lies, the sin that would stand between us and you. We give you the praise and the glory for all you're doing. Lord, I know that nothing good, um, nothing good that I have came from any of my own efforts. It's all because of you. I want to give you the praise and glory for that today. And I want to place you at the highest point of worship in my life. Help us to do that as a church. Help us to do that individually. And may you take all the glory in your name. Amen. Welcome to sit or stand with us for this last song.
grace finds us, God. May your grace go with us throughout this week. Amen. We will see you all next week.